Uh, good morning and welcome to another Respero podcast. I'm sitting here in my office at my desk in my home in Santa Cruz, California. It's a uh, late morning and the fog is just starting to burn off, which is typical for uh, summer here in Santa Cruz. And of course, uh, as soon as I've started recording, my neighbor has started using a power tool. Looks like a wood chipper. Looks like he's got a big pile. So hopefully that won't be too much of a distraction. You won't be able to hear that. Today, uh, in this podcast, I want to address some questions that uh, people have asked from uh, some of the other podcasts we've been doing. And that's great. I love the questions. And the uh, two questions that I'd like to talk about today, one is about codependency. And the person uh, asks, how do you know when you're codependent? Or at least too codependent. How do you know what the line is between enabling someone's foolish behavior and actually helping them? just serving them. How do you know when you're being codependent or when you're just being a, a good servant and uh, you know helping someone? That's a great question. It's uh, simple but complex at the same time. And then the second question that I hope to get to is one uh, about communication and direct requests from uh, one of our recent podcasts. And the question is uh, I can see the value of direct requests at home and in my marriage and in my relationships, but what about in the workplace? How do I use direct requests or should I even use direct requests uh, with my administrative assistant? If well, Won't that just be confusing when I have something that I need her to do? Or what about with my boss? How do I how do I make direct requests with my boss? So healthy communication and how do direct requests apply at work, where it's all about productivity and and sometimes task over relationship. Those are both great questions. Um, now the dilemma sort of that I have with uh, Q and A in this kind of a format is I don't like giving short answers to people's problems, to people's pain. Uh, it drives me crazy in a like a TV or radio talk show, Dr. Phil kind of a deal where somebody asks a question and there's a quick answer that, you know, in just a few minutes uh, wraps it all up. But of course that's not that's not reality and people deserve to be listened to. People deserve to be have someone listen to them carefully, ask a lot of questions in order to understand. So I don't want to give short answers. So my solution is I'm going to give long answers, maybe really long answers. So we'll see how long this first one takes uh, about codependency. So how do you know when you're codependent? Well, first, um, let me just say that codependency as a, as a word, as a term, has only been around for about 40 years. We can actually trace or see exactly when it was coined and uh, then quickly kind of came into 
popular use. It, it began being used as a term in the late 1970s. But of course, it's, it's describing uh, a condition or a, a relational um, style or reality that's been around as long as there have been people. So what is codependency? Originally, it, it came, by the way, from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous usage. Um, they started seeing an AA uh, after many years of working just with alcoholics or the, the people who had a problem with addiction and substances, um, that it wasn't just about them. It was also about their family members and other people who were affected by by their alcoholism or their substance abuse and addictions. And so they started calling these people who would enable the behavior of the alcoholic. They started calling them co-alcoholics, but then when somebody started um, using the term actually in an article, in a journal, codependent, and broadened that out to not just alcohol, but all, all kinds of addictive behavior, um, the idea is that other people uh, are very, very much part of the problem with addiction. But it's not even just with addicts. So how are we going to define codependency? There are, are many different definitions, but here's the working one that I use. A codependent person is someone who has let another person's behavior affect him or her in an unhealthy way and who is trying to control that other person's behavior or even obsessed with controlling that person's behavior. So it's a matter of degree, by the way. Everybody, every single person is codependent with somebody to some degree. So it's a matter of degree. And when does it become a problem? So that's what we're going to talk about. It's not something that just women struggle with. It's definitely everybody, both men and women. And essentially... Uh, I'm codependent when I can't be okay unless everybody else is okay. When I can't be okay, uh, when I can't be at peace unless you're okay. But if you're upset, then I can't be okay. And so I've got to make sure that you're not mad or that you're okay. And I can't be in peace unless you are. That's codependency. It's especially tricky for Christians, by the way, and we'll come back to that. Uh, let me read you something that um, a young woman wrote. Um, her name's uh, Krista, and she is married. She has two young children, knows of no alcoholism or compulsive disorders in her immediate or extended family, yet she calls herself codependent. Her problem, she says, is that other people's moods control her emotions. And then she, in turn, tries to control their feelings. And I want to I read this quote from her because I think it is so common, so representative of, of what so many people experience. So Krista writes, If my husband is happy and I feel responsible for that, then I'm happy. If he's upset, I feel responsible for that, too. I'm anxious, uncomfortable, and upset until he feels better. 
I try to make him feel better. I feel guilty if I can't. And he gets angry with me for trying. And it's not only with him that I behave codependently. It's with everyone. My parents, my children, guests in my home. Somehow I just seem to lose myself in other people. I get enmeshed in them. I'd like to do something about it, this thing called codependency, before it gets any worse. I'm not terribly unhappy, but I'd like to learn how to relax and start enjoying myself and other people. And I think of that, what, what she has written there, is so uh, illustrative of this common struggle uh, with codependency that so many people uh, can identify with what she's saying there. So how do we know if we're codependent? Well, here are some of the characteristics of codependency. Um, some of the things, of course, that, that Krista uh, just listed there. But uh, a codependent is someone who is, whose life has no margin. Who just, uh, everything is rushed. They just have no space in their life. Um, and therefore, they're tired, exhausted. And their life has no margin, no time for rest or self-care because they can't say no or have boundaries. See, that's one of the classic characteristics of codependency when you can't say no to somebody when you when you don't have good boundaries and that leaves you with a life with no margin and another characteristic of someone who's codependent to an unhealthy degree is just low self-worth they just struggle with their own identity and that's what we talked about in our last podcast and there's a really strong connection. There's an uh, insecurity or this, this struggle with our identity leads to codependency, which then leads to anxiety. So those three things, codependency, or uh, insecurity, low self-esteem, uh, uh, identity problems, that leads to codependency because you're trying to make you're trying to get your own self-worth from pleasing others and making being able to come through for other people and make sure they're okay and never upset. And then that leads to anxiety because that's so stressful. And stress is one of the great causes and contributors to anxiety. Uh, that's a topic for another podcast or another time. But this connection uh, and overlap between codependency and anxiety and shame and identity issues is, is strong. We have six-week groups, by the way. Um, there'll be new groups starting in September on all three of those issues. So codependents, are their life has no margin. They have low self-worth. They're disconnected from their heart, uh, their feelings, their emotions. Uh, they just, they've shoved everything aside and stuffed their emotions. That's uh, very common with someone who's, who's really codependent. They don't let themselves feel. And another thing is that they're disconnected from their, from their minds. And by that, I mean they ju they're living in denial. They're just not letting themselves feel or think about um, their, dis their disappointment. 
the disappointment they're experiencing in relationships. Um, they're, they're in denial about their pain, about their loneliness often. And then another characteristic um, is that they are desperate to control. So someone who's really struggling with codependency is, is a people pleaser, but who's also trying to control other people's behavior, other people's moods, as, as Krista said. And they're also very reluctant to let other people help them, very reluctant to ask for help, because they should be able to, to have it all together, and um, they shouldn't need help. Their job is helping others. So those are some of the characteristics of, of someone who's, who's really struggling with codependency. So how do you know if you're codependent? Well, uh, how much do those those characteristics resonate with you and do you when if you're really honest with yourself are those things that you're experiencing um, so why is that tricky for Christians um, because hey we're supposed to be servants right we're supposed to put others interest above ourselves we're supposed to love other people unselfishly and uh, come through for them but it's really all about our motive so understanding that line between like when am i choosing to help somebody out of out of a a good motive where i just want to serve them and where am i doing though out of my own need out of my own need to be okay out of my own need to be validated because i'm i can help somebody and they need me those are the kind of things that um, create this confusion and actually feed into codependency in Christian circles because we, we have messages in our heads that we're, that we're just supposed to unselfishly serve everybody else. And then we have no self-care or time for, to feed our own souls. And I see this all the time in my counseling practice. Um, I just went back, I just picked a month, frankly, randomly, from like two years ago in my counseling practice, so nobody um, really current, but it was not difficult to uh, just find examples of people who struggle with codependency. In fact, I, I, uh, there was a client who struggled, this was a guy who struggled being codependent with being codependent with his parents. To a pretty high degree he couldn't say no to them he's married he has children uh, but whatever his parents wanted to do whenever they wanted to come to visit or around the holidays or uh, just even around financial issues he really struggled with saying no to them because if you go up against his mom, uh, his mom makes it really painful and then would guilt him and be manipulative and, and kind of play the martyr and kind of play the card of we've done so much for you. Uh, how, can you how can you not come up for Thanksgiving? That kind of stuff. Uh, really driving his wife crazy. And let me just in interject here that if you don't transfer your fundamental emotional loyalty from your parents to your spouse, you are never going to experience oneness in your marriage. 
and that's why this is so important. So that client, just someone uh, codependent with their parents, another another client I had during that month, codependent with her with her boss. This was actually in a church, um, and her boss is a good guy, a pastor, um, and she's his like assistant, and but he'll come up with ideas like last minute of like, oh, we should do this this week, Sunday, or wouldn't this be great if we did this for Christmas? Uh, but like way too late to pull off a, a, a big event for the church, and yet he just expected his, his assistant to, to pull it off now. And she took that on herself because she didn't want to disappoint him, and she felt like she had to. And, and that just left her exhausted and and no time for her own family or her own life. Um, another uh, example of a, a wife who very codependent with her husband and to the degree that she tried to do everything for him. She couldn't stand it whenever he would be angry. And so she would try to cheer him up or change the subject and just make sure he had every need met and schedule his appointments for him and she didn't even realize she was doing this she didn't even realize how how that was creating underneath some resentments and really harming uh, her relationship her marriage and her own soul or uh, I had clients who were struggling being codependent with their children and uh, their children, young kids who they just couldn't stand it if their kid was bored even, or if their uh, teenager, they had uh, early teenagers, and if the teenager then uh, got mad or got surly, or then the parent would try to just would crack and would give in and would give him their way and let him break the rules and no consequences because the parent couldn't stand for the kid to be upset, especially with them. Oh, that is no way to live as a parent, let me tell you. It reminded me, I saw this recently. This is astonishing in one sense, but um, in, in another sense, not really. It's, it was something that uh, I read about what's happening now in summer camps. And campers are, are are going away to summer camp, and most camps have a rule of no cell phones, no electronic devices for their campers, which is great. It's a great opportunity for kids to be, you know, free from that and just swim and be outdoors and do the camp activities and, you know, no texting or video games. But the problem that the camp... Uh, directors are running into is not the kids but the parents. The parents will actually uh, give their children a decoy cell phone to turn in and then a second cell phone to keep hidden so that they can stay in contact with their kid and make sure their kid is okay at camp. And this is this is a real problem uh, in camps now. And many of the campers um, here, this one camp director was writing, many of the campers say they miss YouTube and Snapchat, but then they quickly get over it and, you know, appreciate the hands-on activities and the in-person friendships at, at camp. The hardest 
the people who have the hardest time letting go are the parents. And parents are the ones who are calling the camp daily, demanding reports on their kids, wanting to know if their kid's okay, if they've had any, you know, anything, like a skinned knee. And the, the lead girls counselor at this one camp um, says, I have to respond to the mothers who are used to this constant communication with their daughters, she says. So how many messages a day? Up to 100. And, and so parents are giving their kids phones buried in luggage, stitched into stuffed animals to make sure that they can communicate with their kid and make sure they're okay. And then the, the camps try and um, kind of accommodate that by posting a lot of pictures on their website and pictures of the kids and the campers. But they'll get that phone call, hello, camp director, I was on your website and I don't see my kid. Are they okay? Were they sent to the hospital? And the, the director says, these parents dissect every picture. Uh, they'll see, we'll have children playing a game in the background, and the parent might see their child in this picture looking up at the sky, and, oh, my son or daughter looks sad. What's the matter? Well, there's so much wrong with that that I don't know where to start, but that's a codependent parent who can't be okay unless their kid is okay. And that's going to be a problem, is a problem, and that's going to lead to greater problems. So codependency is all over the place. It's a, it's a big deal that is preventing a lot of relationships and a lot of people from being healthy. So let me, let me just uh, point out a few examples from... Uh, the stories about Jesus, of how not to be codependent, of what is the contrast. Because Jesus was the only person who ever lived who wasn't codependent at all, probably. So, for instance, um, there's a story early in Jesus' uh, ministry where he's started teaching and healing people. And so one... One day it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. But then Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. Jesus, come on back. Come on back to town. You've, you've got to, you know, you've got to come back. Everybody's looking for you. Everybody's wondering where you're at. They want, you know, they brought people for you to heal, and they want to hear, you know, they want to hear more about what you have to say. You've got to come back with us. Now, a codependent person would just jump at that and, oh, yeah, okay, let's go, and would be controlled by their need to come through for people or their fear that, People would be upset if they didn't, you know, hurry back and, oh my gosh, somebody, somebody needs me. I better immediately drop everything. So what does Jesus do? The disciples come, they find him and say, hey, everybody's looking for you. You got to come back to town with us. Jesus replied, um, let's go somewhere else to another nearby village so I can preach there also because that's why I've come. He's not codependent at all. 
He doesn't give in to that pull to come through for people. He knows what he's about. He's absolutely secure in what's most important and clear about what matters the most. And it's like, no, I'm not going to give in to that pull. I'm not going to go back to that town just because everybody's looking for me. Everybody's, you know, wants a piece of me. I'm going to go to another town. So that's someone who's not codependent, who doesn't need to come through. Or another example, um, that one that I just read was in Mark chapter 1. So let's turn the page, and in Mark chapter 3, there's another classic example. Jesus is um, in Capernaum, which is a village on the Sea of Galilee, and his family, of course, is in Nazareth, which is um, not all that far away, but uh, another village in Galilee. And so Jesus is, is in Capernaum, and it says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about what was going on, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now you think about that. Jesus has started preaching and teaching and healing people in Galilee, and his own family, his own family misunderstands. His own family is uncomfortable with that. His own family is going to try to shut him down. His own family says he's lost it, and we've got to control him. And this is his, his mom, by the way. Mary, Jesus' mother, is part of this. And so uh, there's a conversation then that's, that Jesus has with some teachers and Pharisees. And but then a little later, uh, it says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived in Capernaum. Standing outside the house, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Now, a codependent person would jump up and rush out and and need to make sure mom and, and the brothers are okay and would need to come through for them and so would immediately respond to that, oh, somebody's looking for me. Oh, mom's, mom's looking for me. I better go see what she wants. I better, I better make sure she's not upset. This is not what Jesus does. He looks around and he says, Who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now this is not what we expect. And this was not what people would have expected. And so this is probably was pretty controversial. And I'm sure that Jesus eventually did talk to his mother and brothers, but he did not give in to their pull of, I've got to tone it down, or I've got to stop doing what I've been doing because it's making you upset, or it's making you not look good, or people are asking you over in Nazareth, hey, what's up with Jesus? Uh, 
what what is he doing? Jesus, there's a lot going on in this story, and I think Jesus is making a very important point um, that our biological family does not supersede our spiritual family. But Jesus um, is not codependent. He doesn't need to come through and make sure his family's okay and his mom's not upset. Isn't it amazing? I mean, Jesus' mother and brothers were trying to stop him, trying to stop his ministry, trying to shut down what, what Jesus was doing because they were uncomfortable with it. So one more example with Jesus just a short snippet, uh, quick scenario that we have. This is in Luke chapter 10. Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I love this little vignette because here's someone pressuring Jesus. Someone actually pressuring Jesus and exerting this pull to like, Jesus, you've got to come through for me here. And, and wanting Jesus to use triangular communication. Tell my sister to help me. So instead of Martha dealing directly with Mary herself, she wants Jesus to pressure Mary. And Martha's got a lot to do, evidently. Guests, hospitality, she probably feels the need to be a good hostess. So, and I, you know, we understand all that. But she's putting pressure on Jesus, and a codependent person would just like, jump quickly to do what Martha wants. Oh, well, Martha, yeah, I'll go, I'll go talk to Mary, and then how can I help you? And Jesus doesn't do that at all. He just says, Martha, Martha, you're worried, you're upset about many things. But really, only one thing is needed or is, matters the most, and Mary has chosen that. Mary's chosen what's better, and I'm not going to take it away from her. So he resists Martha instead of coming through for her. So those are examples of how not to be codependent. And it's okay to say no. It's okay to have a boundary. It's okay to, to not come through for people. And when other people are upset, it's not my job to make sure that they're okay. I want to be sensitive. I want to be kind. But I don't need them to be okay for me to be okay. So, back to the original question, how do you know when you're too codependent? How do you know when you're enabling somebody or, or simply uh, loving them, serving them in a good way? Well, I think in some ways, we can only answer that question for ourselves. So, here are the diagnostic questions we need to be asking. Um, can I be okay if they're not? Is that, is that if my spouse or my kid or my parent or my friend is, is upset or grumpy, does that throw me off the rails? Does that cause me to be anxious? Does that make me want to try and cheer them up or 
make sure that they're not mad at me anymore. Can I be okay even if they're not? And another question to ask yourself is, who, who is it that I can't say no to? Who am I most codependent with? Who do I struggle with this the most? Is there somebody that, wow, I just can't say no to them? Or who do you have a hard time having a boundary with and sticking with that boundary? And if, that, if there's somebody, then yeah, you're being codependent with them. Do you identify with some or many of the characteristics that, that I've been talking about, that I've been describing? Or when you, when you hear those stories uh, with Jesus, I mean, and you recognize that you would, you would want to make sure Martha was okay. You would, you know, when your sibling calls and, you know, wants to complain about one of the other siblings, and wants you to tell them something or do you do it do you come through for your sibling or your parent because if you don't if you say no or you just simply say you know what that's something you need to talk about with them then they'll be mad at you so we have to ask ourselves those kind of questions to know if and with whom we are codependent to a degree that it's a problem it is possible to grow in this. It is possible to have healthy boundaries. It's possible to not live your life um, in an unhealthy way, trying to make sure everybody else is okay. It's possible to be at peace, even when the closest people around you aren't. And to be able to distinguish the difference between joyfully, gladly choosing to serve someone and help them out of the right motives. Uh, and that's a big, big deal for your own mental, emotional, relational, spiritual health. So if this is something that uh, you recognize that you're struggling with, there are great resources out there. Um, as I mentioned, Respero has some six-week groups focused on the issue of codependency uh, or Talk one-on-one -on -one with somebody. Get some, get some counseling about it. There's some excellent resources. It's still hard to beat the, uh, the Boundaries book and the Boundaries workshop that Henry Cloud and John Townsend put out now decades ago. And It's almost a cottage industry, boundaries from marriage, boundaries with kids, boundaries um, with your dog. I mean, I don't know. I don't mean to make light of it. They're all very helpful and and coming from a, uh, a very clear, solid Christian perspective. Um, so I recommend those highly. And you know what? I'm 35 minutes into this, so I'm going to stop here for today, and we will come back in our next podcast to that question about how to, what does healthy communication in the workplace look like? How do we make direct requests there? Uh, as always, uh, Respero is dependent on the uh, generosity of donors, so if you believe in, in our mission and what we're doing, then uh, we would be very appreciative of uh, your financial support. We've got a lot going on. Uh, I want to mention that Twin Lakes Church here in Santa Cruz, or in Aptos, has, is having a one-day conference on mental health and the church on August 26th, Saturday, August 26th. Um, I'm going to be there giving a workshop 
on anxiety actually, uh, but it should be a really good day. So for yourself or if this is something that um, you just want to learn more about, that'll be a very good day. Our relational care training is starting in late September, uh, Risperos. The first eight-week class is called Foundations for Healthy Relationships. You can register and uh, sign up for that. Find out more about it on our website at Respero.org. Okay, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.